Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Shalom, everybody. Oh, I was happy. <laughs> I'm David Butler. I'm, I don't even know who I am right now. I'm Emily Freeman. <laughs> this is Don't Miss This. We are a scripture study podcast. We move through the Come Follow Me um, schedule, curriculum, studying this year, uh, the Old Testament. We're still in my basement in case any of you on the podcast think we could be in Israel. No, why? we're in the basement. Why would we be in Israel? Shalom. Oh, <laughs> well, I've started with Aloha and all sorts of other stuff before, but just I felt the mood. I felt the mood. Where <laughs> okay. you guys, I'm actually studying Hebrew right now. That's why. On, uh, are on you the really treadmill good? at the gym? Okay. Like I Say something else. Hebrew. Say something else. Ani mevina what, what does it mean? It says I understand Hebrew. <laughs> I think that's if you're a girl. I haven't figured out the conjugation. <laughs> Okay, this is going to be exciting. Maybe every week you can teach us one I phrase. Have, I should have learned this before the Old Testament year. But, oh well, now maybe when we go to Israel, you can say get around something. And, yeah, okay. be able to speak it all. Um, I can't even remember what's happening. Oh, Old Testament year. We're ending it. This is it, y'all. We have actually two more lessons. Today we're on the very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi the prophet. Um, and then we have our Christmas lesson, which is next week. And we have a really special guest who's coming. Uh, super big treat. And uh, it'll be a shorter one. And hopefully um, an idea of what you can do together as a family or for your lessons. Jenny, is she was like, just so you know, I'm planning on using your Christmas lesson for when I teach. So and I was like, okay, be well, good. I'll figure that out <laughs> when we record that. Um, so those two are left. Then we're diving in into the New Testament next year, which we're so so excited about we're super excited about this last these last two lessons just because today's almost kind of will become i think a summary of the whole year and then christmas next time obviously um and if you still need any of your study resources or tools to kind of help you out in your personal study family study things for your home to help you remember all Teaching the things with your classes this year we're going to oh, do yeah, a, a little lot. bit of help for if you are a sunday school teacher or young men, young women's teacher ideas. Yeah. All that for next year. If you any of those study resources or tools are all, you can find them in the newsletter, information about them at um, Desiree Book, or you can go back to the Lamentations lesson and you can find at the beginning of that where we went through everything. So get ready for New Testament year. Order those, pre, you know, and that's the best way to make sure that you're going to get them yeah, in time. Yeah, because they'll, they'll come in the order that they sell are out, restock, ordered. Sell out, yeah. restock, and all that. So. And we should say this too, um, because next week is the Christmas lesson. So you might want to be gathering some things from around your house for that Christmas lesson. That's or what we're Amazon. doing. Or from Amazon. There's some things or you from might want Amazon. to order. In fact, let, I, I'm just going to pull some of these off right now. We didn't think about this, but we will <laughs> right now. <laughs> While you're doing that, I'm fixing this. Okay, so <laughs> some things you might want to get ready for the Christmas lesson. A little lamb of some sort, um, some lamb's wool. Uh, you can just get this, like sometimes yarn or something would work for that. A rock, that's going to be super easy. You need a branch, either we're using an olive branch, but you could use any branch you want. You want a lamp or a candle of some kind, a pomegranate, but you can get a real live one from the grocery store might be the easiest. 
Um, you're going to need oil. Everything you're going to need for that Christmas lesson is in the newsletter, but you might want to be grabbing all of that this week because then we'll use it for Christmas. I'm so excited. I did this with my grandkids and they loved it. We did it a couple weeks ago. They loved it so much for like days after they were um, still pulling these things out and talking about them. So it's going to be such a fun Christmas lesson. So awesome. Okay, so that's just a little prep. Get you ready for the next ones. Now let's come in to this. I seriously think I sat on I see someone Malachi. again. I, <laughs> I have Rome on my butt. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, we're putting up three today. You, you guys, guys, this ah, is so fun. I'm so, I can't I believe it. I think we it. have the same reaction. I know. Right? I just, I'm so proud of us right now. And also, let me say this. I've been so many places this past week. I don't know if this has happened for you, but I've been like everywhere I've been at a concert, at the grocery store, um, just walking through places. People will stop me. And this is what they say. And it makes me so happy. Everyone is saying this. You said we were going to love the Old Testament and I did not believe you. And then their eyes just get so teary and they're like, I actually love the Old Testament. Mm. And that was our only hope. Like yeah. when we started, we were like, all we care is that people love the Old Testament as much as we do. And like, I look at this and I'm like, we know all these people now. I'm so proud of us. Yeah. We know so what happened. Awesome. And remember all the good stories? Like you just want to think about, we will in a minute, we're going to think about the good stories, but we have our last three, and then there's only one left. Yeah. Okay, on the Malachi, 51 is the number we're going to put these. On this little one, you're going to put Malachi up. He's the very last prophet. And the last book in the whole Old Testament. So, you guys, we really are done because... Okay, then what's going to happen in between the Old Testament and Christmas, what's going to happen is, you remember, they went away to Babylon. Persia took over Babylon, and now they're kind of acting as a vassal state in the, the kingdom of Persia. Do you know that word? No. Maybe it's time for so me to teach you, you right some vocabulary now. derelict. <laughs> um, so they're kind of under the control of <laughs> Persia. What's going to happen? And say the good things. Remember Persia was, oh, yeah. Babylon fantastic. was not as happy. No. Persia, Persia, we love King Cyrus. Yeah, because he sends them back. They fund the building of the temple. They encourage the rebuilding of the city. They let them worship. And I'll wear what this, they may. Let's just say this one thing, because I hope we did, but I can't remember if we did. I love about this Persia time period that God will use people within his church kingdom to do his great work. But King Cyrus reminds us that he will also use people outside um, the church to do his great work. And I think sometimes we forget that. We think you have to be baptized a covenant yeah member of the church to be able to do a great work and it just king cyrus reminds us god can use anyone living and does on the use, earth and you know? yeah and will use right. to bring about his great purpose and that it was king cyrus who was not even someone who would ever walk into that temple who paved the way for that temple to be rebuilt and yeah. i love the thought of that yeah well sad but persia actually gets taken over um by alexander the great in the Greek empire, which is actually going to be a great benefit to the spread of scripture when the language, when the Greek language gets spread throughout the whole world, but they're going to take over and then Rome is going to actually become a superpower and overcome Greece. And that is why at the start of the New Testament, Rome is in control of the land of Israel in the city of Jerusalem. Again, we're kind of familiar with that in the New Testament, but these are going to happen 
in between the Testaments. A lot goes on in between them. And, and in the old world, or whatever you want to call Jerusalem, there are no prophets after Malachi. But it's important to remember, remember when the Book of Mormon started here, and it, it kind of goes hand in hand with the Old Testament. Um, and during the Persia years, you have Jacob, Enos, and Jerem. But once we get here where Greece comes and Rome comes, Malachi is the last prophet here. But God is still talking to his people in the Americas. So we have yeah. Omni, we have the words of Mormon, we have Mosiah, we have Alma. And, and we're, that's all happening at this same time as we lead into what will be 3rd Nephi and Matthew 1. Yeah. So there you go. We're almost there. We'll put on the last piece uh, next week. But we're going to bring that back in just a little bit as we talk about this last book, the book of Malachi. Um, so he fits kind of right where he is on that timeline chart, right? Where we're back from Babylon. We're living, the temple is rebuilt, the city is rebuilt, and they kind of expected it to be like just this, remember, glorious return that all the promises would be fulfilled. And and in the book, you almost the book almost is this conversation between the Lord and the people with them kind of asking like, wait, why aren't things the way that they're supposed to be? Like you promised that they would. And the Lord sort of responding to those questions. So... That's kind of where they're at. And, and, it, and it really starts out like that in verse one. Yeah. Like that, uh, those questions going back and forth, you see it right at the beginning. And I love when Malachi starts out and he just says the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And I think it's so interesting when he is like, he explains his message as, and that's what his name means, messenger. Yeah. as a burden, like he's going to have to try to help them navigate through this tricky conversation that they're asking. And there's really two questions that they're asking. Well, and it's just, it's just interesting to me that it's just like, they thought that their, you know, burdens were these other nations and they didn't realize that they're actually internal. Like, yes, your problems aren't your circumstances. Your problems are... Your heart. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it's like, now the way that you face your outside circumstances, you know, what matters is that you're, face, you're facing it alone. Yeah. And you're facing it with ingratitude and you're facing it with resentment, you know, instead yeah. of facing it with God. And you're entering into the relationship halfway. Right. And then that's what you're going to experience is this halfway relationship, which is what they don't want. In the end, that's kind of what they're complaining about. And it's interesting because he says, I have loved you, said the Lord. Yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? And that's such an important question as you get into Malachi. Is there like, where? where? Show us where, like, look at our life right now. Where have you loved us right now? And um, the question is going to get turned back to them from the Lord where he's going to be like, well... Let me ask you the same question. Wherein have you loved me? And it's going to start with like what today looks like, but it's going to become a conversation that looks back over their whole history well, together. It, yeah, and he kind of does that in verse two. And let's just say this for verse two, because sometimes people read verse two and three and are a little bit troubled by the vocabulary. And so I think a different definition would help you not get tripped up on it and really understand mm. what the message is because he says, 
um, they ask, he says, I have loved you. And they're like, how? How have you loved us? And he takes them back to Jacob and Esau story, which is the beginning of the children of Israel, which is in the book of Genesis. So he's taking their minds back to the very, very beginning is what he's doing. What you might get tripped up on, he says, I loved Jacob. I hated Esau in verse three. <laughs> and, and then we're and like, like, wait, we love Esau. <laughs> What's happening right now? Um, the ESV study Bible, which I really appreciate, says that word love is not an affection word. It's not a feeling word. It's about favor and being chosen. And remember that was um, Jacob's choice to be chosen, right? It's not about the Lord's feelings. Well, of his and heart. it goes back to what they were willing to offer. Right. Yeah. That's, the that's two what of them. it all goes back to, which is a really important concept for understanding Malachi because there is a moment of that what they wanted to accept from the Lord and what they wanted to offer to the Lord and, and finding themselves in right relationship with God. And remember that it's going to be a wrestle for both of them. Like that is the story of Jacob. Yeah. Is it, it, it wasn't like, oh, and then Jacob just chose the right from day one and everything was perfect. That's not true. So loved doesn't mean your story is going to be perfect and you won't ever make a mistake. But it means Jacob righted his heart first. And we know Esau did in the end as well, but we just don't get to see his side of the story. Yeah. So he's like referring to a particular part of their story, not his feelings toward them, but the focus of I hated Esau is actually, that word is not an animosity toward him, but a rejection of his offering and a rejection of the way he was choosing to live his life. So he's pointing to a particular spot in their story. So we only bring that up so you don't get caught up on that. And then you could actually understand what the Lord is doing in this section, which is taking them back to two things. One, he's taking them back to the very, very beginning, right? He's re, he's, he wants them to, hey, do you want me to answer the question, how have I loved you? We're going to go back to the very, very beginning. And, then and let's I'm going to show about, you yeah, what it looks like. And I love this too, because he's like, here's the thing. Jacob said that you remember, this is what happens after the birthright and the porridge and everything else and the goat's arms and or the goat's fur on the arms and everything. There is a moment when Esau says, I'm doing this my way. I'm going to marry who I want. Jacob, you mean? No, Esau. Oh. Esau well, says, they both do. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm going to marry who I want. I'm going to do this how I want. This is the way my life is going to look. And um, Jacob, you remember when his dad says to him, um, you have to ha find a wife here. And your life is going to have to look like this here. And you're going to have to start navigating what a relationship with God actually looks like. And I love that God points that out where he's like, here was the problem in verse four. Esau said, I'm impoverished, but I will return. And I don't care if I live in desolate places. And so the Lord said to him, that's fine. Then you can build, but I will tear it down until you finally are willing to do it my way. If till you are finally willing to let me prevail. And I love that he says to Esau, and you can name that city if you want to. And he gives him two choices. You can either call it the border of wickedness, he tells him, or here's your other name you could choose, the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. Which town <laughs> do you want to be called? I get such a kick out of that. I'm like, uh, let's see, which one do we want? <laughs> what will look better on the signage? Um, and I love that Jacob has to have that same thing, right? He, he also is going to go through a journey of, 
whether or not he's going to let God prevail in his life. And I love that that's the example that God uses because he's like, in all actuality, Malachi can say to all those people, you have a choice to make. Like, do you want to enter into this relationship halfway? That's what Esau did. Or do you want to let me prevail? And you got to make that choice. And it's interesting that he is focusing on that choice because one of the job hazards of covenant people from the very beginning is thinking that they're chosen by name or Mm. by association only. And he takes them back to, he's like, no, 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 this is all about the way you choose to engage in this relationship. That's, that's what's going to affect it. Not that you happen to be a descendant of Jacob or or someone. And when the, and the Lord kind of answers for them, you know, where he's just saying, they're like, how have you loved us? And then he's going to, he says, takes them back to Jacob, which we'll come back to in a second. But then he asks back, well, how have you loved me back? This is a relationship, right? And verse six is sort of an answer to that, where he just says this. He's like, um, he says, a son usually honors his father and a servant, his master. If I'm a father, then, then where's my honor? If I'm a master, where is that respect for me? He's like, listen, if you see me as a dad, then you're not really acting like it. Like you're not acting like a son treats their dad. And if you actually see me as a boss or, you know, or whatever, yeah. you're actually not a very good employee either. So I don't know how you see me, but whichever way you see me, you're actually kind of despising and polluting my name. And, and they say back in seven, how, how have we, how? we, we go to church, you know, how yeah. have we polluted your name? And he says in verse eight, and he's like, well, how about when you offer the blind? for sacrifice and, and the lame and, and he's sick. talking so uh, the first time i read that i was like well wait a minute i love the blind and the lame and the <laughs> sick but he's actually you have to understand sacrifice to get this part because do you remember what is required for sacrifice when you are choosing out of the flock it has to be a firstborn male with no blemish right nothing can be broken on them that is what has to be offered. Is it, it becomes this, you're offering the finest you have. And the Lord says, what you're actually doing is going into the flock and saying, okay, which of these will not survive? Which of these are, are not gonna be worth it in the end to me financially? What, what's not profitable? Take the blind one, take the one that only has three legs, take the one that actually will not ever grow up into something, that's the one we should offer. Then it doesn't inconvenience us at all, but we're still checking the box. Yeah, and it's still satisfying God. And then that's the arguments that they're bringing to him. They're like, we we come, we do the sacrifice. What have you done for us? You know, and the Lord's like, I know, but you are, you're bringing the gangly three-legged ones, almost as if to ask, like, how do you think that makes me feel? Like, what if for my anniversary, I gave Jenny just like leftovers, you know? I was just like, oh, I, here, I just, <laughs> you know? And it's and when yes. you see it in a relationship sense, he's sort of like, that. you asked me the question, you know, you know, how are you, how are you polluting my, you know, how are you polluting this relationship? And he's like, well, look what you're doing here. And I love his question in eight. And it's actually super like, it's so good to like self-reflect where he just says, um, offer it. Now to your governor, will he be pleased or will he accept you? You know, what if you took what you're giving to me and you gave it to like, you know, the king? How do you think he would respond to that? 
And I had a conversation with um, my son yesterday about this and just talking about... Well, and I think it's fun to talk about like how the conversation came up that in, um, is our relationship casual with God? When you think about like how you're dressing to go to church or how you're entering into a covenant relationship or, you know, there's, there's little things we do as members of the church that become our offering. And yeah. some of that is how we dress and some of it is how we talk and some of it is what we choose to eat. And, yeah, and right. you know, we, there's, there's just parts of the re- relationship that require submission, but also in the form of respect yeah. for the relationship. Right. And that was our conversation yesterday. We started talking about um, when we go to church on Sunday, what's the offering that we are taking when we go? And, uh, and I just, my son's on the basketball team, my daughter's on the cheer team and, and, you know, my other son has a job. And, and so I just kind of went around each of them and just said like, okay, Jane, if you gave the same effort, um, to your cheer team that you give to the Lord, would you still be on the team? Christian, if you gave the same efforts that you give to the Lord, if you gave the same kind of level of offering that you give to the Lord to your coach, would you still be on the team? And I wasn't calling them out, but wanted them to think through that, you know? Think through the question, am I giving God my leftovers or am I bringing my finest to him? Like, which of those two am I doing? If I took this relationship and I applied it to other relationships that are compared, you know, to other relationships that I can, it, it helps you see pretty easily and pretty quickly like because when I ask myself that I think it's a great question to ask myself would Mm -hmm. you be on the team you know if you gave that same level of effort here versus here it's such a good question and um I I love that thought where he's like I just want you to think through your actions I want you to think about the fire that you're kindling I want you to think about what your actions are show as your investment into this relationship. And for all of us, that's going to look different. That's what I love the most about it. Is it like, it makes me go into my heart and be like, how do I show my respect for the relationship that I'm in? Right. And that's a question for me, not for me to impose and ask about anybody else, right? But just to look at yourself and be like, am I bringing my finest to this relationship? In the best ways that I could. Yeah, instead of a different kind of focus, which is they are saying like, well, what are you doing for me? You know, and it's just like, that actually is evidence of of what their heart is like. Yeah. It's like, you went into this relationship trying to get something out of God, but that's not how relationships work. That's how vending machines work, but that's not how people to people yeah. relationships work. And it's interesting because as you go into chapter two, Malachi is going to start asking them questions for the Lord that actually are like hard questions to answer. At least I was like, I need to really like think through what this looks like in my life. And I think it's so interesting because in verse seven, he says, listen, the priest is supposed to be the messenger of the Lord of hosts. We love that the name the Lord wants to use for all of Malachi is the Lord of hosts because another translation would be the God of angel armies. And you love because it is this group that has been defeated and defeated and defeated so many times. And so every time he answers, he's like, let me ask you this question, says 
the God of Angel Armies. Let me ask you this question, says the God of Angel Armies, that in your mind you're like, okay, he's capable of giving you more than what you are living within. But what's preventing that God of Angel Armies from showing up into your story right now? And he's going to ask hard questions and they're going to be uncomfortable. And in verse 7, he says the priest is actually the messenger of the God of angel armies. And he has a responsibility to that. And I think about like for us, as we think about our apostles and, and the prophet, that they have a responsibility with that message. But so do we. Yeah. We do too. And he said... I mean, remember we talked about this last week, that Genesis 1, that he called all of us to be in his image. Right? Yes. All of us to be yeah. his words, to be like you know, his representation and particularly the children of Israel, they were called with a particular calling, right? To take the message of redemption to the rest of the world. Yeah. To, to show his character to the rest of the And of I the love people. in eight when he's like, that's what they're meant to be doing is what you just said. But here's the problem. They've departed out of the way. You are causing many to stumble at the law. Like, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Are we, do we have that problem today? Are we stumbling at the law? Because we know the law. So I think it's so interesting that you can cause many to stumble at the law and you can corrupt the covenant, says the Lord. Like that, you are capable of doing that as people. Yeah. You're capable of doing that. And that's what you're, what you're doing. In verse nine, he says, um, you've been partial to the law. And I think it's so important to realize God's law is law and it's unchanging. And we know what it is since the very beginning of time. We know the law. Now that doesn't mean it's easy to live. And that doesn't mean we're, we're not all going to struggle with it in some way or somehow. But our job is not to change the law. Our job is to figure out how to live the law and how to help other people live the law. And when we look at the law, we're not all going to be a hundred percent. Yeah. We wish we were, but we're not even on our best day. We're not going to be a hundred percent at the law. And the thing is, he doesn't say here, uh, you're not a hundred percent of the law. He doesn't say that. He said the, the problem is you're causing people to actually stumble when they're trying to live the law. And so it does, it makes me think to myself, I know what the law is and I see where it's hard for me to live it. And I'm glad people have compassion for me trying to do my best and they give me grace in trying to figure that out. And that the Savior works with me to try and get that right. And, and for some things in my life, that will be a lifetime pursuit. Mm. And I think God is fine with that. But I, I, I know better than to try to change the law even when I struggle with it. And I think that's part of what Malachi is saying is, you're not gonna be perfect at it, but your option is not to change it because you're not perfect at it. You don't get to change the law to fit your imperfection. You're gonna grow into the law and you're not actually doing that. And, and because you're not, you're making other people stumble instead of turning to Christ and working through whatever is their hard thing with the law. And I think that's important. No one's saying you have to be perfect, but if you're corrupting the covenant and you're causing people to stumble, that's a problem. Mm. 
it makes me think about that the post that you wrote on Instagram like how are we talking about Jesus right how are we yeah. talking about what he's like like what are we what are what representation are we giving of him and of his loss right i mean we've seen over and over and over again since the very beginning the lord's like this is the purpose for the law like the purpose of it is love here's the purpose for judgment here's the purpose why i speak against sin He's like it all has yeah. a it all has a reason and it all has a purpose and I and he kind of sets that straight in seventeen yeah um, oh yeah for us where he's like I'm not saying you're not going to sin which I think is important where he wants to say um, well this is what their problem is Malachi says here's what you're saying God loves sin and sinners alike um, and that actually isn't true God doesn't love sin. But he loves his children, all of them. Yeah. And and somehow that had gotten confused in their time. And and it's so interesting because they say, Why are we wearying God? And he's like, Because you're not teaching what is true about God. God loves everyone, but he does not love sin. And if if you say that is true, um, then that's not a true characteristic of God. It's the same as saying um, God loves too much to judge. And that's not true because of the law. And God's law is God's law. Um, And we're all growing into it. We all are. And we're all at different stages of growing into that law. But because God loves us doesn't mean the law changes. God doesn't get to change the law. There are God laws. There are universal laws that govern um, whatever uh, you want to call that. Eternity might be the easiest way. But God will love us into that law. He will walk with us into that law. And and we're going to each reach that level of becoming at different times and in different ways. And some of us, Joseph Smith tells us, will grow into that after this life. And I love that God's patient like that. And God is loving, but he also can't change God law. Yeah. And we skipped over some of like the examples of that, but through chapter two, he's giving several examples of that. He was like, well, here's one. When the people are asking, like, how have you shown love to us? It makes you wonder like, wait, what are they complaining about? What's the complaint? And the complaint probably is, our lives aren't going how we want. We're not getting all the th- the promises mm-hmm. that we expected. We're yeah. na, 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 na. and the Lord kind of says, you know, he just says like, "Well, you're not you're not even living according to what I've given you." Like I gave you this law, which is the way of living that helps you experience abundance in life, and you're not even living what I gave you. Mm-hmm. And he gives right a couple examples to them, which we you know, some of them we skipped and some we showed there where it's just like, "Well, you're not even like listening to what I say so like what kind of relationship do we have here right you know well and the thing that we loved as we were reading one and two is you start realizing as you listen to their words that they're living in a scarcity mentality and they're not willing to give very much to god because that they're living in that scarcity they don't trust him i feel like is how they're living and even with the hard things they don't trust that he will come through in the end. And so 
that that mistrust is actually making them create a situation that is that scarcity mentality and it's not healthy for a relationship and i love that god is going to say in chapter three listen i will send my messenger and he's going to prepare the way before me and let me show you what it looks like to live in an abundance mentality like you can live like this in one and two that was the problem with jacob and esau you remember that from the lesson when we taught it where it was they were trying to hold on so hard to that porridge and that birthright and all of that stuff and do you remember how they finally reconcile at the end after that wrestle with god and they come together and jacob with all his um gifts that he sends ahead for esau and when esau says it he says wait i don't need these because i have enough and jacob says well i don't need these because i have enough somehow they mm. have learned to live with an abundant mindset they trusted god and his grace to take care of them no matter what came they trusted that and it allowed them to live in this abundant way that was so different from what is happening here and maybe that's why he's calling them back right he's like i want you to remember that story and I love verse six where he says, for I am the Lord, I change not. Yeah. And he says, that's why, by the way, you children of Jacob are still around, yeah. <laughs> right? Because I have not changed. That's how I was with Jacob and Esau. And it's how I've been ever since then until today. Today, And I love like if we pull that timeline back out, I love if you were to say, how have I loved you? says the Lord that like, look, look how I have loved you. Like I created the entire earth for you, the whole earth. I, after all of the wickedness, I let you start again. I gave you a clean slate. I was like, let's try this again and yeah, see what happens. Abraham, I called you from, from that Babylon that you were living in. And I called you to a new life. I called you to to be the bearer of my covenant and the bearer of my blessings to yeah. all the world. Like stars that you can't even number and sands on the sea, but also when we get to Isaac, I will provide a lamb in the thicket. I There will be the sacrificial lamb that like, this is how much I love you right here. And you look at the story, Jacob's story and the story of all of his sons. Like you remember the details of those. You're like, he should have given up on this family. <laughs> When they threw their brother in a pit, you know, he's yeah. like, he should have given up on this family and he, and he didn't give up on that family. And when they found themselves in slavery in Egypt by their, you know. Yeah, with no means of escape. Right. None. Zero means of escape. A little baby in a basket. Right. Is his answer to that huge dilemma. Right. I took you in the most unexpected and fantastical way out of Egypt overnight. Like he yes. takes them overnight on dry ground and takes them to Mount Sinai where he gives them the law. Remember he says, I, I want to turn you into a kingdom of priests and priestesses. I want to be, help you become a treasure. And, and, and I want to work hand in hand together with you to take the story of salvation to the rest of the world. Yeah. And what could have happened in two weeks that instead takes 40 years. And he's like, I'm okay with 40 years. Yeah. And in fact, 
If you seriously want to take 40 years to do this, that's fine. I will walk with you. And take in care of this you. place and take care of you the whole time while you're working it out i can be patient and then we go through that cycle of over and over and over them getting caught in captivity and he's like i'll raise up a deliverer again i'll raise up a deliverer oh hold on let me raise up yeah. a deliverer <laughs> like how many times is it gonna take for him to do that and and I love too that he's like, and I'm not just going to take care of these people, but I'm going to reach out for Ruth, right? I'm going to start grabbing as many as I can outside the lines to bring into this covenant family. And remember they got here and they demanded, we want to be like everybody else. And the Lord's like, you don't want to be like everybody else. He's like, we do, we do. And he's like, okay, if you want to go that route, then let me walk with you through that route. Yes. Let me help you choose. Um, Choose Saul the king who falls. Let's pick another one. David, you remember this battle with Goliath, right? A reminder. I'm going to help you fight your battles for you. And he should have given up on this line of David with the choices that he made. He should have said, okay, never mind. Scrap that. Let's start an entirely new one. And instead, he, he that line continues on. And you watch this. And as you look through the way that these people lived... He kept sending. I know. That's one of my favorite right? parts is these this book of 12, right? That he's like, here, let me try this. 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 Like he never gives up. He just keeps sending people. And in order to preserve the line, he's like, let me actually send some of them away with another set of prophets that will keep calling to them because what's going to happen to this group? Yeah. And they enter into captivity and not only is he going to bring them out of captivity, but while they're in captivity, he doesn't abandon them, right? It's like by their own fault, they went into captivity, but God still calls and he's still there and he's still and he, and he brings working in Daniel, miracles. And he brings right. in Esther. Right. Like he is just, he's like, do you want to see how I have loved you? Like, look, look, show me anywhere that love is not written on this poster and that you start realizing he's a God of second chances. He's a God of restoration. He's a God of gathering again. He's a God of deliverance. Of impossible promise, Rescue. of guidance, of meeting you where you are, of taking care of you when you don't deserve it. Like would you look at this and this, if you've done this um, timeline through the year, this would be so awesome to do with a class or to do with your family to answer the question, how have you loved us? And, and move through this whole story. And we just skimmed it. Yeah. Like we've got a whole year of all of that. And that, that makes that verse even more powerful when he says, I have not changed. That's why you're still around. You look at, their, you look at the children of Jacob's story, Israel's story, and you say, you shouldn't still be around. You know, and it's just like, but look at what God's done throughout yeah. for them, you know. And what continues, entire... what he continues to do. Right. We're just going to keep watching that same God show up within the story. And I love when we get to chapter three, and this is the chapter we're so familiar with, when he says, um, I will send messengers, right? Messenger after messenger after messenger. And um, he will sit as a refiner 
and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, Levi and, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering of righteousness. And that's where it comes full circle, right? He says, you're bringing me a halfway attempt at a relationship. And what will come in the end is you will go through this tribulation. You will be refined until you can offer an offering in righteousness. That's what is going to happen. And then in verse 6, he says, because I am the Lord and I change not. And you won't be destroyed. You are the sons of Jacob. You won't be destroyed. Even from the days of your fathers, you've gone away from my ordinances and haven't kept them. But return to me, he says, and then I will return unto you. And then finally, the people say, well, how should we return? Yeah. And this is one of my favorite parts of Malachi. In my scriptures, I have starting right above verse seven, I've just written in my scriptures, the God cycle. And he starts out explaining this God cycle like this. You return to me and then I'll return to you, he says. That's what's going to happen. And they're like, okay, but actually like, how do we return? What does that look like? And then he says this, he asks this question, will a man rob God? But you have robbed me. And if you look at Rob, um, that will a man rob God in the footnotes, it tells you in 8a, it means ingratitude. He says to them, you have not shown gratitude to me. Um, you say, how have we robbed you? And I will tell you, it's the offering. He tells them, it's your offering. That's where you're robbing me. You are giving me halfway. That's what's happening. And I want everything. I, I want in the treasury, the two mites. That's what I need from you right now. And um, that's, that's where this story is going to come out of, is that lesson that started clear in chapter one. What is your offering? And I need the offering to be gratitude. I need what you are giving me to come from a place of gratitude. And um, I want to think about that for a minute. Like, what does an offering look like if it's actually given in gratitude? Like when you think about that conversation you had with your kids, um, where does gratitude fit into that conversation? Well, what's interesting is, so this cycle, this these verses right here could really, really easily be used to teach what some call a prosperity gospel. Mm. And it's sort of like the heart that you see of the people in chapter one. Yeah. You're like, well, what have you given us? You know, what have you done for us? And it's almost like the whole thing is based off of, well, what's in it for me? Yeah. You know, oh, okay, I'm supposed to do sacrifices. You know, either to make someone else happy, to get the blessings that I want, or whatever reason yeah. it was. And it didn't seem to be offered in gratitude because he actually gives a little warning in a second mm -hmm. in 14 where he's like, now, now you're going to be tempted to say it's vain to serve God. It's useless because what profit is it for us to keep that ordinance? You know, it's like, like, what are we going to get from it? And so that's something that's like, 
The difference between offering a gift and gratitude is by it's not asking, what am I going to get out of this? But rather it's triggered by something that's already been given. Yeah, that's so important. And it, it makes you think of King Benjamin. Yeah, right. That's what it makes you think about. Like you, you can't ever catch up. Right, you right. You will never catch up. Yeah. And, and so I would actually say in order for somebody to give a gift of gratitude, they have to recognize a gift that's been given to them first. Mm. Like that, something has to initiate this cycle and it's what we did with yeah. the timeline. It's how have you loved me? And to see or to remember or to recognize, wait, how good God has been. And now my response, I'm acting not in not as a request, but in response. Because I could give an offering as a way to get something from him. But or, instead, or, yeah. Or you can give an offering and be resentful right. about it. Right. You know, you, you can do it and be like, I hate, I hate that I have to do this, but I have to do this. You can resent every time you enter into that relationship. Yeah. And I would say that then you don't understand who you're entering into relationship with. That's right? so good. If you're resenting the giving of a gift, it means you, you don't actually know the person you're giving the gift to, particularly if it's a gift to, to the Lord. And so if it begins with remembering who he is, recognizing what he's done, then all of a sudden it's like, I'm going to actually give my very finest mm. because he deserves it, because of who he is, because of because of like what I see yeah. in, in him, him, right? And in my life because of him. Right. Like it's actually going through and saying, even in the midst of the really hard things or in the reality of life, but here's where he has shown up um, for me. We do that a lot with our kids where um, we will look back and say, isn't it so interesting that you are in that house and in that neighborhood and live by those people and found that person to help in this situation. Like you can look at all of those things and be like, that's a really happy serendipitous coincidence that all that worked out the way it did for you. Or you can say, God has been really generous with us. Yeah. And I'm gonna choose to see what could have been a coincidence or just our luck or our good thinking and planning, even though we didn't know we were going to need that eight years from now, but we just were, we picked a good location. Yeah, you could say that, but you could also sit down and start laying out. How did God know us so well? Mm. How did he know our situation so well? How did he know our story so well that somehow we were led here for what was about to come in the future. And mm-hmm. I think God deals in promised lands more often than we think he does um, because maybe we don't open our eyes to see them there. Yeah, and as you're talking about that, that question where he's like, you've robbed me, um, it makes me almost think like, well, they've actually robbed him in character. Like mm. you've robbed him of who he actually is. You know, like the gift that you gave was not a proper reflection of who he was, you know, and, yeah. you, and, 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 and maybe and you're not recognizing 
If you recognized how good he was. It would trigger a different response. Yes, it would trigger a different response. And so that's what he says. 10, bring all the tithes into my storehouse that there might be meat in my house. Like that's how I'll know that you know who I am. But, and that you recognize and remember by the, by the offering that you give. That's how yeah, I'll know how, how I'll you know. feel about because me. Because what he wants to say is, I'm going to respond. You are going to respond with gratitude. I am going to respond with generosity is what he says. And I just, I want you to think about this for a minute. We talked about this with tithing, but I want to go for, um, for with just offerings, because he, he talks about both in tithes and offerings. So for a minute, let's just think about offerings, right? Where he's like, I want, offer me in gratitude. When you walk into a church building, walk in with gratitude. And when you walk out of it, walk out with gratitude for that experience. And when you have an opportunity to serve, enter into that experience with gratitude. And if you can do that as you go in, what is going to happen is I'm going to be really generous with you because that's my character. That's who I am. And you are going to see my character. You're going to see me for who I am and you're going to realize my generosity. And hopefully what that's going to do for you is it's going to increase your gratitude. And as your gratitude increases, so will my level of generosity. And so that you can never catch up. Like you can't catch up in the God cycle. Um, it, it's just, it's con continuing all the time. And I love, um, it was many, many years ago when Greg and I were really, really poor, like really poor. And um, it was during a year where there was one month, and I think I've talked about this before, where after we had paid all of our bills at the beginning of the month, we had a dollar forty-seven left in our bank account, and we hadn't done our grocery shopping yet. And it was a February, and I can remember Greg's sister showed up at our door, like that afternoon, and she was like, had been shopping at Albertsons, and someone had left a fifty-pound bag of potatoes at the bottom of their cart, and she was too lazy to take it back into the store, and so she just put it in her car, and she was like, "But I felt guilty taking it home, so I'm giving it to you guys." <laughs> And we seriously ate potatoes for a month. That was what we ate. And um, my mom, because it was our first Valentine's Day, thought it would be so cute. They didn't live by us. And so they had no idea how bad things were. She thought it would be so cute to wrap up uh, 20 brand spanking new $1 bills in Valentine's wrapping paper and send it to us so we could have a date night for our first Valentine's, which we didn't. Because we lived on $20 and a 50-pound bag of potatoes for a month. That's what we lived on. And I can remember that month having a really hard time deciding if we were going to pay our tithing. And um, we did. We had made a decision when we got married we were going to pay our tithing. So we did pay our tithing. And I had been studying this um, these verses and I had read that part will a man rob God and at the bottom where it says ingratitude and I could have paid my tithing with resentment that month I really could have I could have said where are you in our story right now like we have a dollar and 47 cents Greg had been so sick he had um, had his thyroid out he hadn't worked for three months 
We were barely married. I was teaching piano. We were like barely getting by and I really could have written out that check and said, where are you? And why are you making me pay this? Like we actually can't afford to pay this, this month. But I had read this scripture and I can remember writing out that check and like having a real life internal argument with myself in that moment of, am I really grateful to pay my tithing this month? Because I actually really wasn't. And um, I was so intent on that internal argument that I knelt down on my knees and prayed and just said I was grateful for the opportunity I had to pay my tithing and licked the envelope and like made the commitment that I was going to take it. And um, I, I won't tell you things got easier because they actually didn't. Um, I kept one of those dollar bills and I framed it. It's up in my bedroom. I still have it um, as a symbol of faith, not as a symbol as of reward because things didn't get better. We didn't prosper right away. We were really, really poor for many years. We didn't get that like big financial blessing, but God was generous with us in so many ways in those first 10 years of our marriage. And uh, it didn't reflect in our bank account ever, not ever in those 10 years, but it did reflect in our health and in the people who showed up to carry us. And, um, and it's funny that I say health because we had terrible health for those 10 years, but babies came that shouldn't have come. And we were able to pay medical bills we shouldn't have been able to pay for. And we made it through. And I think there's something really important about figuring out what gratitude actually looks like in the hard places. I think that's important to realize and to realize that God's generosity doesn't always show up in the thing that we would choose. Um, it doesn't show up in season tickets or in a Disney cruise or, you know, that you'd, you're like, this is how I would like you to be generous with me this year. But it shows up in, in tender ways that you're like, we actually would not have made it through without you in this moment. That's generosity. And it feels like, you know, as you say that story, that it's like that opportunity to give that offering. Some look at the church's bank account and say, how dare they ask for money when they already have all of this money. Yeah. Say, well, it's not about that. It's about the chance to offer something in gratitude. It's a chance for your heart to experience gratitude. It's a chance for you to reflect on past generosity. And it's a chance to say... I choose you over everything else I could choose right now. Yeah. I choose you because you know what? I know he has chosen me and that's what I'm most grateful for. And at the end, when it's all said and done, um, and we teased last week when we died, I told David, put twinkle lights in my coffin when I die, make sure they're turned on before you shut the <laughs> lid. Like that is what I want for sure. And, um, you know, you think when you leave this world, um, what I want to leave with is the knowledge that I chose God every day. That's all. And I want to be grateful 
that I made that choice. And I think it's powerful that you're in a, in a 10 years of drought, you actually lived in abundance. Yeah. That that is, was the most powerful. Well, one of the most powerful parts of that story was that, hold on. In you, you lived the God cycle because you lived in gratitude and experienced and recognized generosity and you actually faced the problems of your life with God's abundance and with God's grace and with God's generosity. Yeah. Like that is what the God cycle is. Yes. It's not a, it's not a, I give you this so that you give me that. Yeah. I will never be bankrupt in God. Never. And I never have been. And I look back over my life and, and I can't tell you we ever had great abundance anywhere financially, but we always had what we needed. Always. Mm. Somehow God led us to what we needed next. Always. And um, in the end, what I don't know is what my financial life will look like at the end of my life. I don't know what it will look like. I question it all the time. You know, will we have enough all the time? But I don't ever have to question if I will have enough God. Mm. I've never had to wonder that once in my entire life. I've always had enough God to get through. That's so awesome. So that's the verse 10. That's the God cycle. I'll pour you out a blessing that there will not be room enough uh, to receive it. I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. Like it just, and then at the very end, one more time or another time, 11, saith the Lord of hosts, the Mm. God of angel armies. And in 12, and eventually all nations will call you blessed. That promise of Abraham, right? The promise that was given to him that you're going to experience it and you're going to, you're going to live in it is, is what he says. Yeah. And to be in his family forever, the protection of his family forever. I just love the promise of that. It's so interesting to me because at the very end um, of verse of chapter three, he talks about then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another and the Lord heard them and he heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that reverenced the Lord and thought upon his name. And I just love, don't you just want to think about angels up there every time we pray and we're like, I'm so glad he showed up here and I'm so glad he showed up here. And, um, at the end of Thanksgiving, I was saying my prayers and on Thanksgiving, I always try and just have a really good prayer of gratitude. And, um, this year I just was like that. I don't even have enough words for the gratitude as much as I am thankful for the grace that showed up in our story this year. And, that don't you just wonder if there's people up there that are like, oh, and this, and this, and this, this is the book of remembrance. It's all the places God showed up, Um, all the places where God didn't fail. And, you know, it's that remembering. Well, and I think at at the beginning when it says, and then they, that plural word, that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And what a powerful practice it is to gather together Mm. with people and let that gratitude become like magnified. Let it become, you know, what is it? Synergy, you know, to have that sort of like 
you know, to, to build on, yeah, to build speak up one on with each another, other, to speak often about how God has been good because, you know, you say this story right now and it's actually going to trigger somebody to reflect on how God's been so good mm-hmm. to them, which will then cause them to respond in gratitude to him and then further recognize his and generosity. receive his generosity. Like mm-hmm. we trigger the God cycle in other people yeah. also. And yeah. it's really cool that that invitation that's there at the beginning of 16, which is also a, a great um, option for a class or a family mm. is to, you know, do 16. Speak often one to another of the goodness of God. Like take time yeah. and just do it in the history that you just read. Because I love then, that that is a book of remembrance. Yeah. The yes. whole Old Testament. Like this is a book of remembrance. It's the stories of where God showed up and their gratitude. That's what this is. And the Book of Mormon is a book of remembrance. And don't you want to think, I hope the Freeman family has a book of remembrance. Well, you know? don't hope. Write one. Yes. <laughs> that's what I want to I say, know. right? Yeah. Because that's at the end of my life, I want to be like, oh, here, this was ours. Yeah. This is our families where God showed up. We, we can add one to the Testaments. Yeah. Right? You know, don't you love that? The Old Testament, the New Testament. Um, another Testament. Another Testament of Jesus Christ. And then you want to be like, and the Freeman's Testament <laughs> and the Butler's Testament. Like, who wants to have that at the very end? <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. Okay. This whole book, right? ends in this chapter four, obviously Malachi chapter four. And um, we've just kind of talked about, he's just kind of gone through all of that with him. It's like, this is how you live in abundance instead of in scarcity. This is how you live in a covenant relationship with me. This is how it's mended. This is how it's magnified, all of those things. And chapter four um, kind of looks ahead to the future. And um, I also think too, in that looking ahead, like you feel on one hand, he has delivered that message. And on the other hand, the Lord knows what is coming is right. what you read at the very end of the Old Testament. The last words is the end of the prophets, which is actually really sad. I know. And I have written in mine for now. <laughs> like yeah. I, Every time I see that phrase, the end of the prophets, I want to write like, oh, for now. Because you're like, he knows what's coming. Right. He knows. Right. He's like, I see where you're going. Like, I'm going to tell you the best I can, but I see where you're going. Yeah. And I love that he's like, I'm just going to give you three, like, words of advice. And whoever chooses to hold on to these, it will be well with you. Yeah. Well, or four. I actually thought of a fourth one. Okay, I can't wait. We wrote down three. But because it begins with that... um, where he just says, unto you, verse two, unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness mm. arise with healing in his wings and you shall go forth and grow up as galloping calves, right? Calves in the stall yes. are young, like They have so happy, much energy, yeah, right? enthusiasm. Right, and yeah. so he says like, okay, let's remind you again, there is hope in your end. Like all promises are going to be fulfilled one day. Yeah. Now, with in that the meantime. in mind, in the meantime, <laughs> one, two, three. Yeah. Right? Which I love. And we're going to see these. We see it here. You need to know you see this in three places because I think it's important. We see it here. It's not coincidence. These are the last three things the Lord says when this whole book is going to end. Um, in the New Testament, 
we will see this message again, one, two, three, just like this. It will come again in the New Testament at the Mount of Transfiguration. We're going to see it happen again. And then in our time, in our dispensation, we will see it one more time when Moroni comes to Joseph Smith and reminds him over and over again, like these three things that happen at the end of this book, they are crucially important to the plan. And I don't know if we recognize it when we read it. We're so familiar. You know how sometimes you get so familiar with the language that you're like, oh yeah, I've heard that a thousand times. But he's going to talk about three things. Moses, um, Elijah, and then um, this covenant relationship. And I think it's important that we kind of hold on to what is the symbolism behind the three so that we know what he's saying because he's using people to try to teach us a concept yeah. is what he's trying to do here. And so we're first introduced to Moses. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and the judgments. So he's like, okay, there's going to be three things I need you to hold on to. The first one is the law. Okay. If, if you need to imagine Moses to remember that, then think of Moses. But when you think of Moses, what I want you to remember is you're not holding on to Moses. You're holding on to the law. Yeah. And, and kind of like, it's interesting that it's Moses because he's just like, just like Moses navigated them mm. through the wilderness, the law will navigate you through yours. Yeah. Like, how so do good. I approach the situations, the questions, the circumstances of my life? He's like, the Lord has given the law. He's given mm. like something to navigate, the iron rod to navigate you through the journey. Yeah. And I love that. But then he's like, that's not enough. Yeah. So next I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And Elijah represents like he would have for them in the Old Testament, one of the great prophets of the Lord. Um, even when we go teach in Israel, you just feel that. Like I love when we get to Mount Carmel and yeah. you just have that remembrance of this is one of the great prophets. And we do love Elijah. But again, he's using Elijah to teach us. The second thing I need you to hold on to is the prophets. Before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, like I'm not going to leave you alone. The end of the prophets here, I'm not going to leave you alone. You hold on to these prophets, but there will be more to come. So hold on to the law, hold on to the prophets. And let's just say one thing particular about the prophet Elijah. Okay. If I were to say there's one thing that he's known for, is he's known for miracles in in, in times of trouble. Yeah, big, like, big times of trouble. Right, big times of trouble, but still the existence of miracles. You've got the widow. Everything was dropped, yes. but she still lived. You've got the, the rains that come, the fire from heaven, the yeah. axe that floats. Like he was the God. I mean, he was the associated extreme. with miracles. And, yep. and I, we were reading recently again about miracles and Almost like with this one, there's this other bonus, right? It's just like, w because he's going to keep sending the prophets, that's almost a sign mm -hmm. that so will the miracles come. I love that. And recently, for the second time that we we can think of two times mm -hmm. that's happened, um, 
An Elijah that's been sent in our day has promised this. President Nelson, in coming days, we will see the greatest manifestations of the Savior's power that the world has ever seen. I think he's also including that in that verse five when he says, I'm going to send you Elijah. Yes. Not just prophets, but miracles that like the sending of a prophet is a miracle in yeah. and of itself, but more will be associated with that. And earlier before we started recording, you know, we were talking about that quote and yes. that idea. And yeah. it's like in coming days, we'll see the greatest manifestations of the Savior's power that the world has ever seen. Like, yeah, it, then the it best. makes you want to do this. In church yesterday, our speaker said, list the top 10 manifestations of God in history, in all of history. So I'm like, okay, like you just want to get that timeline yeah, back out. Right, right. I'm like, all right, let's, let's think about it because who wants to think about the great flood? First of all, who wants to think about crossing the Red Sea? Who wants to think about the day he hung the moon? Right. Who wants to think about magic bread that showed up? Coming from heaven for 40 (laughs) years. Who wants to think about seven years worth of food that was thought about beforehand? Oh, yeah. With Joseph? With Joseph. I was like, what are you? Sorry, the pyramid. (laughs) I was thinking about all the food Um, in there that he gets them like through seven years of famine. He Listen, gets them through it. I don't know if this makes a top 10. I really wanted to. David uh, and Goliath, I really to. have yes. to because remember, this is a last chance yeah. battle and it's, you know, yeah. through this shepherd kid. Yeah. Um, how about the fact that they're going to be taken out of the grip again yes. of one of the world's superpowers? Yes. Babylon. Yes. Right? How, how about this? I know. Orf- I, I'm my yeah. favorite. I was like, and you can't miss Esther. You can't like, are we going to have another Esther? Because I want to think we might have another Esther. You know, like all, you look at all these things and I'm like, what's coming, everyone? And when I was sitting in church thinking about it, I looked at my kids. They were sitting by me. I had some grandkids by me. And I was like, oh, please let us be here for those things. Mm. Like if we're going to have a new top 10, I like, I want to see the new top 10. Yeah, right. So this is awesome. I'll give you my law. In the meantime, I will give you my prophets and my miracles in the meantime. And then number three, he says, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the to the fathers. That's translated better in um, when Moroni comes to Joseph Smith, where he says, I will plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers. And then the fathers will turn to those things. And the third thing is those Promises, the promises that were that given. covenant promise, from clear the, back from Abraham. Right, from from the very beginning. He's like, you will still have those promises. They'll, they'll still be something that you will experience, that you can hold on to, that can generate, you know, faith and persistence and endurance. Yeah, I love one of the things that we did this year that was one of my favorite things um, was gathering the promises given to covenant Israel. And you remember President Nelson asked us to do that. He was like, make a list. He told us for six months, you make a list of all the promises to covenant Israel. And then to start watching for them to be happening in our life. And we have 15 pages, single spaced of covenant promises to Israel that have come out every week in the newsletter. Uh, If you have the app, it's easier to go back and look at them because they're actually on the app is just a list of all the covenant promises we've gathered this year. And so if you have the app, that might be something you want to do with your kids this week or your family 
is just to go through and read what are all those covenant promises we captured this year from the Old Testament. But I just love that there are so many. Um, I'm going to just read a few. But the one that you see over and above any other blessing, and it is in almost every book that we studied is, I am with you. I am in the midst of you. I will not leave you. I will come to you. Like he just keeps saying that over and over again. Mm. So that's my favorite one. But he talks about, I will comfort you. I will rebuild, restore, and gather. I will save you. I will render double to you. I will undo all that afflict thee. I will turn away your captivity. I will prepare a rescue. I will bring you into light. I will give you vineyards. I will heal you. I will love you freely. I will do great things. Um, I will reveal my secrets to you. I will send deliverance and holiness. I will give you my spirit. I will answer your prayers. I will seek. I will deliver. I will gather. I will feed. I will send mercy. I will give hope. My compassion will not fail. I will be faithful. I will be your portion. I am with you. I will be your God. You will obtain gladness and joy. With great mercies, I will gather you. With everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you. I will heal you. I will lead you. I will give power to the faint. I will renew your strength. You will walk and not faint. I will pour out my spirit and my blessing. I will be entreated of you. I will do my work. I will come and save you. I will make a way of holiness. Of holiness. I will be a defense. I will be a place of refuge. I will be a covert from the storm. I will give you confidence. I will be your help and your shield. I am on your side. I am for you. I will keep you from trouble. I will bless you. I will load you with benefits. I will be the strength <laughs> of your heart. I will defend this city. I will hear your prayers. I will see your tears. I will put strength in you. I will be gracious to you. I will deliver you. I will give you twice as much as before. My hand will be upon you. I will give you a nail in the holy place. I will lighten your eyes and give you a reviving. I will defend this city. Um, I will not let the mill fail or the oil fail. I will give you another heart. I will show you what you should do. I will look on your heart. Oh, I will send angels and cake. We loved that one. Um, all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. Blessed will you be in the city and in the field, and your basket will be full. Blessed will you be when you come in and when you go out. The Lord will establish thee. Our favorite one ever, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. Make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee and give you peace. Um, I know you by name. I will give you rest. I will be gracious. I will do marvels. Um, they're just, I mean, you get, I'm like, okay, who is this? Yeah. Because I want to be on his team. I want to be in his family. I want this promise. The other day in my mailbox showed up these darling cards. I don't know if you can see them, but, um, this cute woman named Hannah, made these beautiful cards that are also puzzles and they are also cross, cross stitches <laughs> and, prints. and prints and these are cards which i love and they all come out of scripture and she tells you which um which scripture they come out of but she has all these words on here out of um, scripture where she just goes through the lord is faithful to all his promises i am with you always even till the end of the age uh, the Lord is good and we are his, we are his people. Um, she tells us, surely I am with you always. Um, I lift up mine eyes. Where does my help come from? My help comes from 
the Lord. She says, the Lord watches over you both now and forevermore. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you and he will be gracious to you and you will rejoice. I just, I love the thought of all these people capturing all these promises. Eva Timothy also has a beautiful, just capturing these promises. And I think to myself, I, I want to be better at number three. Mm-hmm. I want to be better at holding on to the covenant promises and seeing them and recognizing them. So I love that these are the three things he says. Just hold on. Hold on right now. Hold on to the law. You forgot my one. Hold on oh, to hope. Hold on to hope. Hold on to the law. Hold on to the prophets and the miracles and hold on to the promises. That's how we're going to get through is with that. And And it just makes you think like, you know, people are asking this question a lot. Why you stay? Mm. And it's like, I'm not staying in an organization mm. as much as I'm staying in a relationship with this God, the yes. God of angel armies. And, and, and to have those reminders up, to hold on to those things, I really just think pushes me into this cycle. Yeah. Like when you read that list, it's just like, oh, now my offering will be in gratitude because it's an offering to to him. Yes. You know, and, yeah. and he is a God of this level of generosity. And the very first yeah. one you read, I don't even know if you recognize that you read it first. Where is it? Oh, this one where you just said, the very first one you read is the Lord is faithful to all his promises. And, and that's awesome that we can hold on to them, but we can also look for and recognize those promises too. Yeah. So good. What a good way to end Malachi. Yeah, the whole Old Testament. What a great way to end that book and to just push us forward into now this is the God we will meet in the stable. Yes. You know, with that same character, the same manifestations and, and promises. Okay, we'll see you next week for Christmas. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.